Hey everybody, welcome back to the Financial Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. In today's video, we're going to continue a series on lazy portfolios. I've talked about them in the past, and it, it's not a derogatory uh, remark. In fact, I think it's a, a badge of honor. A lazy portfolio is nothing more than a, a simple portfolio built using low-cost uh, index funds. And these portfolios are terrific. They, they are broad-based, meaning they cover everything from U.S. stocks to international stocks, bonds, they can cover REITs, commodities, if you want. Uh, they're extremely low cost. I think they're ideal if you're just getting started and have 100 bucks a month to invest, or literally you've got $100 million because you just sold your business. These lazy portfolios are ideal. And uh, today we're going to look specifically at what's called the Rick Ferry Core 4 Lazy uh, Portfolio. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but conceptually, here's how I think of lazy portfolios. The index funds that we use to build them, I kind of think of them as like Lego blocks. Very simple. Uh, you don't need a lot of them. Just a, a couple different blocks and you can build just about anything. And uh, lazy portfolios are the same way. We don't need a lot of index funds to build very sophisticated uh, portfolios. And so in today's video, we're going to look at, as I said, Rick Ferry's Core 4. And uh, we're going to just see how flexible lazy portfolios uh, can be because he takes just four funds uh, or four asset classes, if you will, uh, four Lego blocks, and he builds them into six different types uh, of portfolios. So that's what we're going to do. And let's get started. So the first question you might be asking is, who in the world is Rick Ferry? Well, this is one of his websites, Core4, and I will leave links to everything below this video. Uh, Rick, former Marine, uh, he also was an investment advisor. I think he's retired now, but he built his own practice, his own firm. I think at one point managed over a billion dollars. And the thing that I loved about his firm, and I've, by the way, I've known Rick for, I think, more than a decade now. Uh, we tend to see each other at least once a year uh, at a conference. Uh, so, But he, he built his firm. It was over a billion dollars in assets under management. And he, he used low-cost index funds for his clients, and he charged a really small fee, at least relative to what you find in the business. I want to say it was 37 basis points. I, I'm pretty confident it was under 40 basis points. He's since retired. He's written a lot of books. Uh, he's got his core four portfolios, as you can see here, uh, that we'll talk about today. He runs the Bogleheads On Investing podcast. Again, I'll link to this below the video. So you can check that out. He interviews some great investors on his show. I mentioned he's an author. Uh, this was probably the first book I read that really introduced me to asset allocation uh, and index fund investing, at least one of the first. And it's still as good today as it was when I read it many years ago and uh, all about asset allocation. I highly, highly recommend it. Now, Okay, as we go through these portfolios, we're primarily going to be looking at the portfolios built on an allocation of 60% stocks, 40% bonds. But as Rick points out in his Core 4 website, you can get as conservative as 20% stocks and 80% bonds, all the way up to 80% stocks, 20% bonds, or frankly, anything in between. You could do 95% stocks and 10% bonds, so or 95% stocks and 5% bonds. Uh, so you can you can... Uh, create any sort of portfolio you want out of this. I'm going to use as examples the 60-40 portfolio, but I mentioned that because I want to show you a really uh, cool tool. Here it is. It's on Vanguard's site. Again, I'll link to it. But what they do is walk you through a series of questions. You can see it here. I'll accept it and 
you know, they start with how long you're investing for, and it goes through a series of questions that helps gauge your appetite for risk and perhaps what your stock bond allocation should be. Again, I don't take any tool as gospel, uh, but I think if you're really kind of wondering what your asset allocation should be between stocks and bonds, you can check out this tool, at least as a starting point. All right, so with that, I wanna begin, as I mentioned, his core four portfolio is actually six different portfolios. And let me actually show you uh, on his website. Uh, you'll see his portfolio tab is here and he's got classic, total economy, global markets, inflation fighter, income seeker, and ESG, that's environmental, social, social awareness and, and government uh, governance. And we're gonna look at all six of these and he's built each one just contains four mutual funds, that's it. So let's get started and um, we'll begin with the classic. And here it is, it's, I've got it here in um, M1 Finance. And again, I'll link to all of this. And uh, you can see he's got, again, just four uh, uh, funds and they cover, first of all, they cover uh, the US stock market. He's using ITOT, we'll look at this in a little more detail, but he's got 36% allocated uh, to uh, US total stock market, again, for a 60-40 portfolio. He's got 18% here. He uses VEU, which is a Vanguard uh, international fund. He puts 6% uh, into a REIT, in this case, Vanguard's uh, REIT index fund, VNQ. And then the 40% he's just put into one bond fund, uh, AGG. And one thing uh, that's worth noting here, you notice we were looking at funds from Vanguard and from iShares. We're also gonna look at uh, some Schwab uh, funds. And the point here is, and this is true with all lazy portfolios, you, you can build these mix and matching funds, whether they're ETFs or mutual funds or a combination of both from different fund families. And we're also, the Fidelity would be another one. And that's an important thing to understand. Uh, if, they, if they're low cost and track the same index, they're basically the same thing. That can be really important in 401ks where you may, you know, you may love Fidelity, but your 401k doesn't offer them, but they offer Vanguard or iShares or whatever, it's perfectly fine. We can mix and match, match all of these Lego blocks, if you will, uh, and they'll accomplish the same thing for us. All right, so here's the portfolio, pretty straightforward. Uh, it's got a yield of just under 1.8%. I back-tested it in Portfolio Visualizer, and this goes back to uh, January 2008 uh, through uh, the present and it's done reasonably well for a 60-40 portfolio. It's compound annual growth rate, uh, just under 7%. Obviously, that would be higher in an 80-20 or 90-10 portfolio. Uh, and the standard deviation is around 10. And you can see, which gives you a, a gauge of its volatility. Its worst year was 20% uh, down, and its max drawdown uh, was uh, just under 31%. This data, as I mentioned, goes back to January 2008. So the data encompasses the Great Recession. And we can see from this box, and I don't know how well you can see it, but I'll re just read it for you. It says drawdown period based on monthly returns is January 08 to February 09. And the drawdown recovery, in other words, when did it sort of get all that money back? It, it, uh, it got it all back by April. 2010. So overall, I think a very solid uh, portfolio. Uh, and I almost, again, we're going to look at six of them. This is the first. You can almost look at these as, uh, not to take the Lego building block analogy too far, but uh, like like getting a, 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 a plan from someone and following it to build your Lego, whatever you're going to build, a car, a truck, a building. 
uh, and, uh, but you don't have to follow it. You can then change it however you want. And uh, so this is his classic, right? All right. The next one was what he calls total economy. And he points out uh, what he says is, look, one of the things that the classic portfolio we just looked at doesn't have a lot of exposure to is small cap. And small, small companies make up a really large uh, uh, percentage of the economy. And so in this economy core four, he wants to get some of that exposure. And so what he does, he adds this small cap fund. In this case, he's using an iShares small cap value fund. Now to keep the portfolio to just four funds, he takes the US fund and the international fund that we looked at in the classic portfolio and combines them into one. And that's just Vanguard's VT. And so again, we've got 42% in that fund, 12% uh, in small cap value, the same 6% uh, in a REIT and a bond fund. Uh, in this case, and this again underscores that the fund family doesn't matter much. In this case, he's using Vanguard and it's BND. And there you go. It's got a yield of 1.872%. Uh, you can see its expense ratio is just uh, eight BIPs. And uh, this is probably, if I were going to use a core four portfolio, th this is probably pretty close to what I would use because I like the small cap uh, exposure. And because of that exposure, uh, we're looking at a slightly different period, January 2009. So that's going to change the data a little bit. But we've got a, a higher compound annual growth rate, just under 9%, with a slightly lower standard deviation. Yeah, that's in part because of the different portfolio, but we also can't discount the fact that with the classic, here it is, we could go all the way back to January 2008. And as I think many of us recall, that was a very interesting time to be in investing. But here, uh, a solid portfolio, uh, a solid uh, return uh, since 2009. And of course, now that we're out of the, at least partly out of the Great Recession, we didn't actually get, get out of the, 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 the stock market downturn until I think, oh, March maybe of, of 2009. But because of that, our max drawdown for this portfolio is just 14%. And that occurred, uh, of course, not during the Great Recession. We don't have that data for this one, but rather uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, in 2020 was the max drawdown. But because this is a 60-40 portfolio, it's got a lot of diversity. It was only down during that period about 14%. So again, overall, I think uh, a great uh, lazy portfolio. All right, number three on his list is global markets. This is a portfolio that probably most closely matches something like a Vanguard life strategy uh, portfolio. And what he does to, to give this more international flavor is he goes back to a U.S. Uh, stock fund, uh, ITOT, uh, and the all world uh, excluding U.S. fund from Vanguard right here. That's VEU. Uh, he's got his bond fund, which is a U.S. aggregate bond fund. We already looked at this AGG. Again, it could have been BND from Vanguard, but in this case, he's using an iShare fund. And then what he adds now is instead of REITs, when we compare this to the classic core four, he has an, he adds an international bond ETF. In this case, it's from Vanguard BNDX. And one way to remember that, not that you need to remember, memorize all these tickers, but BND is their bond fund, uh, which is a US bond fund. It's an intermediate term bond fund. It's got government 
uh, uh, bonds. It's got uh, investment-grade corporate bonds, and it's got securitized bonds, mainly probably in the mortgage space. So BNDX, what's up with the X? Well, you can think of that as BNDXUS. So BND without U.S. bond funds. That's, that's how I remember it. So BNDX is the uh, fund uh, he uses. So if you wanted a little more international exposure on the bond side, uh, you could use this one. Probably not the most popular right now, uh, although most folks probably aren't focused on the international bond side of things. International stocks have just underperformed the U.S. market for a while now. I personally don't think that's going to last forever, but I guess time will tell. But still, when we look at this font, this uh, portfolio, and because of BNDX, we can only look at it uh, from 2014 forward. But it's got a, I think, again, remember, this is a 60-40 version of it. Compound annual growth rate of over 8%. Standard deviation is a bit lower, just over 8%. It's max drawdown. Uh, again, this would be in 2020, I'm sure, yes just a, a, a negative uh, 12%. So overall, I think uh, a solid lazy portfolio. And again, you, you get the flavor here, how we can just swap out one Lego block for another and change the focus of the portfolio. It makes this kind of investing incredibly powerful. And we start to see that with this one. This is now the fourth core four portfolio we're looking at. It's Rick Ferry's inflation fighter. So if you think inflation is a big risk right now, this might be a portfolio to check out. So what makes this an inflation fighter? Well, we still have, whoops, didn't mean to do that. Let me go back. We still have, in this case, VT, which is a, a combination of U.S. stocks and international stocks all in one fund, 54%. But now he adds TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. He's using an iShares fund, TIP, easy to remember. He puts 20% in that for his 60-40 portfolio. Obviously, uh, tips are and protect you from inflation because there's an adjustment uh, uh, to the to the fund uh, when inflation rises. So you you basically have a built-in uh, inflation protection. I think of it as almost like an insurance policy. It's like a treasury, but you pay a little extra in the form of lower yields for an insurance policy in the event that interest rates go up. Uh, he has, uh, I'm going to skip this one for a moment. He has real estate. Again, some view that uh, as a, a hedge or protection against uh, inflation. And then he has this iShares Interest Rate Hedge Corporate Bond Fund, LQDH. Very interesting fund. We're going to look at it in, in, in just a second. Uh, but that's hedged against interest rate risks. I'll show you what that looks like in just a second. We back test it. And this only goes to 2015, as you can see here, because of LQDH, but still has a decent compound annual growth rate of 7.6% with, a, uh, I think, a muted standard deviation, max drawdown, uh, just under 16%. And keep in mind, this is during a period where inflation really wasn't, really wasn't a big deal. It'd be interesting to see how this portfolio performs if and when we start to see significant inflation. Now, as I mentioned, one of the funds is this one right here, LQDH. It's the iShares Interest Rate Hedge Corporate Bond Fund. So here's the deal. This is an intermediate or maybe even long-term bond fund that invests in investment-grade corporate bonds, mainly BBB. You can see that right down here. I know that may be a little difficult to see on the screen. I can maybe make it a tad bigger. But it uses what are called interest rate swaps to hedge 
uh, the interest rate risk. So while the, mature, the average maturity of the bonds in the portfolio are 14, the effective duration is just 0.02. I'll just keep it brief. What that simply means is this fund will not be hurt if and when interest rates rise. Normally, if interest rates go up, the value of a fund, uh, uh, say they go up by 1%, the value of a fund, a bond fund, will go down by uh, an amount equal to its duration. Well, this fund's duration is effectively zero. So they, they, they effectively hedge away or manage all of the interest rate risk in this fund. And if we go, go to the quote page, we'll see that it's got a reasonable yield under the circumstances. It's SEC yield, the yield over the last 30 days is 229 it's 12-month yield over the past, uh, obviously, past year is 1.72. Uh, don't, though, confuse this with a savings account. It's not. I think it, it's a very interesting ETF, particularly if you're concerned about inflation. Uh, but it can lose money. We can see here it lost money in 2015. It lost uh, over 2% in 2018. So it's not a savings account, and we shouldn't view it that way. It's not even a money market fund. Uh, but it has the potential to, to earn um, a yield much greater than what those kinds of uh, vehicles are earning today. One thing I'll point out is that um, uh, the fund we were looking at is LQDH. It's hedged. That's what the H means, I assume. Uh, but they also have just an unhedged version, LQD, right? It's basically the same fund, uh, not completely. Uh, its bonds bonds are, are a little different, but it's a corporate grade investment grade corporate bond fund, a similar maturity. But because it's unhedged, look at the exposure we get to interest rates. It's got a du duration of 9.74. So if rates went up 1%, this fund would go down by approximately 10% in value. So that's sort of the difference between uh, LQDH and LQD. We'll actually see LQD again in just a minute. All right, so that's how he protects against inflation. Then he has, you know, again, this is just shows you how flexible all of all lazy in, uh, portfolios and index funds can be. Basic same concept, but now for those of you that love income, and I know you're out there because you leave comments to all of my videos, and man, I love all of you. Uh, and now there's a place for income, uh, as long as you don't get carried away. Fortunately, Rick does not. So his income seeker core four portfolio, um, what he does is, uh, conceptually what he does is he takes the stock portion of the portfolio and picks uh, uh, index funds that focus a little bit more on dividend, right? And we've looked at some in the past. Schwab might be an example, SCHD. He doesn't use that one in this case, but that would be an example. Um, and he also throws in an interesting fund focused on preferred shares, which many of you have asked me about. So let's take a quick look. We've got um, DVY, which is just an iShare Select Dividend ETF, 42% go, goes in that fund. LQD, where we just looked at that. So this is 30% in a investment grade corporate bond. So you're taking some interest rate risk, right? We just looked at that, right? A duration of 9.74, but you're, you're willing to take that risk if you are uh, in exchange for higher yields, 2.37% over the last uh, 12 months. So he's got that fund. And then he's got the Vanguard International High Dividend Yield Fund. So that's another stock fund that pays a higher than average dividend. Got 18% there. And then this interesting fund, it's ticker PFF, iShares Preferred and Income Securities ETF. We'll look at that in just a second. Uh, he's got 10% there. And you can see it's the highest yielding 
core four portfolio that he offers or that he recommends. By the way, he doesn't sell these. You would build these on your own in your 401k, in M1, at Fidelity, at wherever you, you're, you're, you invest. Uh, but the dividend yield you can see here is 3.161%. The expense ratio on this fund is a little higher. I'd say about as high as I can imagine Rick going. It's 0.3. Uh, and I suspect uh, it's just because of the nature of these funds. One we'll look at in just a second. If we backtest this, we see it's done reasonably well. Compound annual growth rate is 7.84%. Again, it's a 60-40 portfolio. Um, but this only goes to January 2017, uh, and it's because the Vanguard Fund um, only has data going back that far. So unfortunately, not a, a, a long track record that we have, um, but I think an all-around solid portfolio. Now let's take a look at that iShares Preferred and Income Securities. If you want preferred shares, you can think of a preferred stock as kind of taking a bond and, and stock and getting them, bringing them together. I don't know, peanut butter and jelly, and you smash them together in a sandwich. That's probably, I should probably edit that out. Anyway, uh, uh, because you do get sort of a guaranteed uh, income component to preferred stock, uh, but there's also an equity component uh, in, in preferreds as well, and they can be converted and, and, and all these different things. I find them, uh, for a lot of folks, myself included, I've just not spent the time to invest directly in preferred shares. But if you want access to preferred shares, there are index, low-cost, relatively low-cost index funds uh, that you can use. And here we go. Here's the one, or one of them. iShares Preferred and Income Securities. You can see its portfolio. Effective duration of three, so while it has some interest rate risk, not a lot, it does though, and this is important to understand, have some junk bonds, if you will, or I probably wouldn't call them junk bonds, but they're, they're preferreds issued by companies with below investment grade ratings. Investment grade would be BBB and up, but you can see there's 23% of this funds in BB, um, two and a half in B, and so on. Uh, and so you've got to kind of keep that in mind but for that risk, you're going to get a higher uh, yield or income. And we can see over the last 12 months, look at this, almost 4.5% yield. Uh, back in the day, they would call that a savings account. But in, in today's interest rate environment, we call that a iShares Preferred Income Securities ETF, PFF. And I'll link to iShares as well. This is some of the key facts on um, the portfolio that we just looked at and more or the, the fund we just looked at at, at um at, at Morningstar. So uh, an interesting fund that I know some of you income seekers might be interested in checking out. Again, the portfolio overall uh, has a higher dividend yield uh, than say the classic core four, but it's not insane. It's not so high that I would start to have concerns uh, about the portfolio. So for you income lovers out there, well, there you go. All right. The last one we're going to look at is Rick Ferry's, I call it ESG Core 4, but it's, it's sort of, uh, uh, it's, it uses index funds that try to focus on either environmental issues, corporate governance issues, uh, social issues, and the like. And again, like everything else, it's just four funds. We've got DSI, it's an iShares uh, 400 social ETF, we'll look at it in just a second. Uh, just a basic Vanguard Intermediate Term Treasury Index. An Invesco taxable municipal bond fund he chose for this. And then ESGD, iShares ESG Aware uh, fund. So it's to be an international fund. And um, that's what he's used. It gives us 
uh, 0.5% dividend yield. We can back test it here. Not very far again because of the funds, but look at this, 9, uh, 11% compound annual growth rate with 9% standard deviation. Again, very short track record, so I wouldn't read too much into it, but it's obviously done uh, very well over the last few years. And just to give you a flavor of ESG funds, I've done a lot of research into these funds for Forbes, and, and I'll do future videos on some of what I think are the better ESG funds. But here, here's the one that he, one of the two he uses in his portfolio. This is DSI. And to give you a flavor of what they do, and I can show you, I'll make this a little bigger. Uh, they have sustainable screens. In other words, how do they screen companies for inclusion into their fund? And this may be hard for you to read, so I'll just read it out. It says, as part of its investment objective, this fund seeks to track an index that applies the following business involvement screen. So in other words, if a business is involved in um, any of these types of um, uh, businesses, they're going to avoid the company. Adult entertainment, alcohol, civilian firearms, controversial weapons, conventional weapons, gambling, uh, genetically modified organisms, nuclear power, nuclear weapons, and tobacco. Now, the screens don't always screen out every single company that has any interest in any of these types of businesses. They're, sometimes they'll screen them out if, they're, if more than a certain percentage of their revenue comes uh, from one of, of those industries. But that gives you a flavor of what an ESG um, fund, uh, how it might work. The screens that they use vary from fund to fund. So if this is something important to you, you really kind of need to do your research, your homework to make sure the funds you pick um, match, you know, what you're trying to achieve socially or environmentally and so on. So uh, in this case, uh, Rick chose these four uh, funds, really just two of them, I would call ESG funds, DSI and ESGD. So there you go. I know I've sort of run through this very quickly. The real takeaway, Core 4 is great. You can check them out. Uh, Rick Ferry's terrific. And um, you may or may not want to use one of his funds. You may want to start with one of his as a building block, you know, and then, you know, put your own Legos on and, and change it. And that's the great thing about index fund investing and lazy portfolios. Use these as guidelines and then come up with what you think is right for you. I think the most important thing to consider is whatever you choose, whether it's a core four portfolio, a different uh, lazy portfolio, we've looked at things like the Warren Buffett portfolio, the three fund portfolio, and there are many, many others. The real key is, can you stick with it for uh, one, two, three, five decades? Uh, switching from one lazy portfolio to the other as markets change, that's where I think you're gonna get hurt. So pick one you think you can live with. So there you go. Hope you found this helpful. As always, uh, uh, leave any comments or questions you have below the video. I'll do my best to help you out any way I can. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.